Philippians chapter 1. And uh, I'll begin reading in uh, actually the last part of verse 18 and then reading uh, from there onward. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with the second part of verse 18. Paul writes, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So what I want to begin with is in verse 19, remember Paul's in prison when he writes this, and he says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, uh, that of the spirit that with, and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this would turn out for my deliverance. So he's t- talking about their prayers, talking about God working through their prayers, and in the ESV it says that this will turn out for my deliverance. Uh, some translations would say this will turn out for my salvation. Uh, when he uses the words, if the word salvation is used, it doesn't mean the sense of being saved from sin because he's already a believer. Uh, it really does. Uh, lean more towards this idea of deliverance. So let me read to you what MacArthur says about this because the word that's used there is soteria, which is where we get our word soteriology from, which is the fancy word for the study of salvation. And so he deals with this phrase that Paul uses when Paul says this will turn out for my deliverance. The question is, what does Paul mean when he says that? Uh, This will turn out for my deliverance. So this is what John writes. He says, the word here is sotera, which is the word for salvation. Some of the Bibles may say, for my salvation. Well, the question remains, what do we mean by that? Well, the word can be translated salvation. It can be translated deliverance. It can be translated well-being. It can be translated escape. So what does it mean? Some say it means ultimate salvation. Some say he is simply saying, I know that this present trouble is going to turn out for my eternal salvation, ultimately to be in the presence of the Lord my, uh, my soul salvation. He is confident that he will endure to the end and be fully, finally saved and glorified in the day of Christ, the day he sees Christ. Let me stop there and let me just explain a phrase that's used there because sometimes Christians use this and we're not always sure what's meant by that. When he says that he will endure to the end and be fully and finally saved, that doesn't mean that you're not really fully saved until a certain point. The idea is, is we are fully and completely saved now, but every aspect of our salvation has not yet come to fruition. The main one being, we still have a body of flesh that's decaying and going to die. So there's a day when we, will, when we may talk about it this way, when my salvation will be final, or my salvation will be complete. So I'm completely saved now, so I'm not going to be more completely saved, but everything that God has promised will now come to fruition. So there's a day coming when you, a uh, day coming when I will then have this glorified body that will not age, uh, will not get sick, and we will live basically on in eternity. 
So, and then at the same time when that happens, we will no longer be tempted by sin. So we will no longer be weak. Uh, we will no longer disappoint the Lord. Uh, our struggles will be over. All those types of things are kind of rolled up into that. So that's what's meant by final salvation. Um, so it's not something we're progressing towards, hoping that in the end we'll make it. Um, there are some uh, religions that teach that kind of salvation. There are certain type of, I call them Christian cults, that teach that kind of salvation. That the idea is, is that you are saved, but that you're not really fully saved yet. Uh, based on how you live, hopefully you'll make it in the end. So you have a better chance than anybody else. There's a, there's a Filipino um, sect uh, or, or cult that is, um, they, they, it's like they've combined Jehovah Witness and Evangelical Christianity uh, and rolled into some kind of a works-based salvation. So the way that it works is uh, when everyone comes to the church, everyone knows that um, the individual who has the best chance of really being saved in the end is the pastor. It's always that way. <laughs> All right, then the, the, the next second best would be like the deacons. The deacons have the next best chance. All right, then after that, you have, uh, I don't know where the ushers and choir uh, work at. I think it's, I think it's the choir. Uh, they're, they're those who sing in the choir and participate <laughs> in worship, they, have, they, have, they don't have as good a chance as the deacons or the pastor, but they have a better chance than those sitting in the pew. The ones sitting in the pew, they have a good chance or a better chance than those outside the church, but again, none of that's guaranteed. And so that's kind of the idea. Yes, ma'am. James, I have a question for Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, that's not what I'm referring to. Uh, that's different. That's uh, losing salvation is is the idea that you are truly saved, and then based on which denomination or who you're listening to, there's a belief that salvation at some point can be lost. Now, I don't believe that, but that's not what this is. What this is is basically a form of salvation by works. Um, if you think about it, that's very similar to what really to what Catholics believe. Okay? Catholics believe in salvation by grace plus works. Right? We believe in salvation by grace, and then our salvation is evidenced by our works. But my works don't add to my salvation, don't guarantee my salvation, and they don't keep me saved. Those things are, I'm obligated to God to obey. There's an expectation that I will obey, and I'm in sin if I don't, but my salvation is not somehow taken away from me if I commit sin or sins. In, within Catholicism, the idea is that you are saved by God's grace, and, but not completely. They don't say it that way, but that's really the idea. And then your good works are added to God's grace, so there's this, you work in conjunction. And then the goal is, is to kind of work out your salvation in the end, then you'll make it to heaven. But if you get into the Catholic doctrine, remember there's purgatory. Everybody goes to purgatory. And what that's there for is purgatory is there so that whatever you are unable to purge out of your life, whatever that is, it's that I'm, again, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's the main idea, you, then you go to purgatory and where there, I, guess, I guess there's some suffering there. But the idea is, is you're there to be completely purged of your sins. And you can be in purgatory 
it's thousands of years. Just so you know, it's thousands and thousands of years is how long you're there. Um, there's very few people who, within the Catholic Church, that will go straight to heaven. Um, I'm not even sure all the saints go straight to heaven. I think that some of them, their time in purgatory will be pretty short. Um, but the idea is, and then of course, that's, that's where, if you're familiar with Catholicism, you know, praying for the dead yep. and those things, that will help to shorten their time in purgatory. So if you're, so if you're a good Catholic, you still hope that your good Catholic family will be saying prayers for you when you die so that you're not in purgatory as long as, you're, as you think you will. And, but again, that's salvation by works. Mormons believe that too, that they can pray for their dead family. Well, they do. They baptize the dead to save them, and they definitely believe in salvation by works. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's, you have to work, um, and it's, it's even more convoluted than, uh, than Catholicism. So again, back to this. So, that's, so when, when I read that from John, as evangelical believers or Bible-believing believers, we do not think of, we talk about you know, being finally saved, that somehow there's this extra step we have to get to. It's just basically you and I enjoying all the fruits or promises of God in our salvation, but we're completely saved. You're not going to be any more saved tomorrow than you are today, uh, which is good news for all of us. We're all at different stages of growth in our maturity as believers. None of us knows when we're going to die. Uh, and so an individual may have only advanced, we would say, in their maturity only a little bit. When they die, we know where they are. If they believe in Christ, they are going to be in heaven. Right? They are going to be with the Lord. So he goes on and says this. So he says, so some say, I begin back to this phrasing that this is going to work out for my deliverance, that it means his health, his well-being, his welfare that he's going to benefit from this, um, that his well-being is going to be secured. Others say that this is going to work out for his vindication. Um, in other words, he'll be vindicated in court, uh, that when he goes to trial, uh, it, it'll come out that he is innocent of the charges. Um, the first phase, basically, of what Paul was facing was uh, he, had been, he had gone to different court and appeared before kings and different individuals uh, there was no one there to defend him, so he's waiting for the second phase. Um, and he's just basically saying, this is all going to work out for my vindication at my sentencing. Others say it means it actually means he's released from prison, since the primary meaning is deliverance from death. He is saying all of this is going on is going to ultimately end up in my being released from prison. Well, of all, out of all of these, again, which one would we, would we pick as being right? So he says that the truth is in all of those... Um, but the bottom line is, is that Paul believes that his current distress is only temporary. In whatever way you view it, he believes that, that, that being in prison and the distress he's going through is in some way temporary. And that's the point. It's not going to last. He's going to be delivered from it. So for Paul, in his mind, whether he dies or whether he's released... What he's going through is temporary, right? All believers can view all of our suffering can all be the same thing, right? As a believer, no matter what I'm going through now, if I'm going through great suffering, I'm going to be delivered by the Lord. Either it's going to end, and I'm going to continue on, or I'm going to die. When I die, I am free from that. So I'm going to be delivered either way. It's not that I want to die. Paul will talk about that in a, in a few minutes, all right? Uh, about the dilemma in his mind. So it's not that we want to die. We're not afraid of that. But we recognize that death 
is a valid way to escape. Not, and we, again, that's not giving us permission to take our life because we don't decide that. God decides that. Right? But, but this idea that there's escape and death, even the world thinks that. That's why they have um, assisted suicide. Again, that's wrong, but why is that there? That is there because people have so much pain, they see that as a relief. Now, I don't know how an unbeliever views that because I guess they think this may be all there is, and so there's going to be a problem with that. However, the idea is that we view death very differently than the unbeliever. Yes? Um, getting back to salvation. <coughs> mm -hmm. Scripture says, uh, wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our right. Lord. And then Jesus said, he that believes in me has mm -hmm. everlasting life. Correct. Not going to get it when you die. You already have it. Correct. And then another scripture says, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Right. God doesn't give you something and take it back. Correct. I just wanted to okay. contribute that. All right. <laughs> All right. So again, back to, uh, to Paul. So again, you may go to heaven with the Lord, or he may be delivered from, from prison. Either way, his, it's, his deliverance is going to come as a result of all of this. Uh, so I don't know which one he's thinking about at that moment. I just know what he says. Uh, but the main point is, is that what he's going through, he views it as being temporary. And what we're going to see as we work our way through some of these verses here is we're, what we're looking at is Paul's <coughs> view of things. How does he understand his circumstances? What is he thinking about them? Because remember, Paul has said before, he wants us to imitate him. So remember, we're not following Paul. You know, we're not little Paulites running around. But the idea is that he is thinking theologically. He's thinking about Christ. His mind is centered on Christ. He wants to think God's thoughts after him. How do we approach life? And so we're going to see this exemplified in his life as he writes this letter to encourage the people in Philippi. He also says uh, in that verse, let me get back to it. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So the word through, the word through, it's a, it's a preposition which gives us a significant spiritual insight in the sense that it is a marker of instrumentality or circumstance. In other words, prayer is what he's talking about. That is the something that accomplishes the effect. So by means of their prayers for him, God is working on his behalf. Okay, we ended with all of this last week, trying to emphasize uh, in our minds the importance of prayer. That prayer, again, is not just some last-ditch effort. Uh, prayer is not something we just do when everything else we try doesn't work. Prayer is, is, is a valid um, act that, that, that becomes a part of our life. It's not the last thing we do. Um, it's, we're, we are, it's the first thing we do. Seeking God's guidance. How do I handle this? Seeking his help. Uh, God wants us to live in dependence upon him. And that is the whole idea of prayer. It's the same thing when it comes to little kids. Uh, when, you, when you're raising your children, when they're real, real young, normally they, whatever they want, they ask you. Because they kind of have to. Right? They're too short to reach anything. They can't make anything. So whatever, everything they do, they ask you. You never, hopefully, you, you, that never doesn't bother you. You don't, you don't say to your two-year-old, 
You little lazy punk, get it yourself. <laughs> Why we don't say that? Now, you say that to a 16-year-old, because we expect them to get their home, but to a two-year-old, that dependence, A, that's the nature of the relationship, right? It's the nature of the relationship. We actually, we like that. We, we cherish that. Sometimes we reminisce about the good old days when we used to have to get everything for them, and now <coughs> they don't even, you know how what half the kids get that phase? I do it. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Which is part of growing up. But this relationship we have with God is, is a dependent one. That's the nature of it. That God does not view that as, it's not weakness. Right? That, that's the way that it's supposed to be. We are dependent beings. Uh, and we are dependent upon him for our existence, for everything. Remember, sin has ruined it all. I mean, it's just ruined everything. So we are absolutely dependent in that way because really that sin has uh, destroyed. But again, remember, the only reason you and I are breathing oxygen is because God exists. Even though we understand, I guess you say scientifically, how oxygen is made, that is not why there's oxygen. We understand the way oxygen is made because God has created these things to function this way. These things function this way because God is the source of power for everything. It functions that way because he wills it. That is his will. It's by his design. Uh, so we are literally dependent upon him for every single thing. Um, and so this is just a reminder of that. Uh, and so here when it comes to prayer, uh, Paul is telling these individuals that when they pray for him, he recognizes the significance of it, or at the same time, the substance of it. So when someone says they're praying for you, now don't answer out loud, but believers think all kinds of things when they hear that. Sometimes when we hear, I'm not saying it's you specifically, but you may hear someone's praying for you, we may be thinking, okay, because it's almost as if, I don't know if you ever, uh, if you listen to people who aren't believers, how they, when they're searching for words in certain situations, I guess maybe to give comfort to individuals. So let's say that um, the, there's a, a, a hurricane comes through and the Morrises lose their home. And so then we say to them, we're thinking about you. Now think about what that means. We're thinking about you. What does that do? They may feel better because we think about them, but that's a nothing statement, right? So if we think that prayer is saying the same thing, but prayer isn't that, if I say we're praying for you because they're <coughs> believers, what they are, what they should be thinking, is that Bob is approaching the throne of grace occupied by God, the creator of the universe. And Bob is asking the creator of the universe, who has all power and wisdom, to help them in this situation. Maybe even whatever way he sees fit. I may not know specifically what to pray for, but I can pray that God would give them the grace they need to endure, to not become angry with each other to comfort them because maybe they've lost everything they've worked for. That, that's, that can be devastating. Right? You, you, you don't have to be materialistic for that to bother you. 
Right? Some people think, oh, they're just materialistic. No, that, that's not what that is. Can be, but not necessarily. So, I'm, so I am asking on their behalf, I'm, I'm asking God to move on their behalf. So they then, because they understand prayer and believe in prayer, they then are truly grateful. They're, they're thankful for that. And sometimes you hear people say things like, like when they, whenever they've gone through something, they say, I, they'll say, well, I'm not trying to be kind of a weirdo, but sometimes I feel like I can, like I can feel people praying for me. All right, they're, they're sensing God's grace in their life, God's, God's help in their life. All right, so if we approach prayer that way, it's never going to mean much to us. And we're really going to miss out on a lot of the blessings of God. But if we are growing in grace and we recognize the truth of who God is, that God is alive, he is a person, that God cares, and that it pleases God to answer prayer, he's, he's still going to move in his timing. He's still going to do it his way. But it pleases him to, to move through it. You know, he's, he's going to do what he's going to do. But it's almost like we could say, but he likes it when people are asking him if he can do this. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and I know I have, and maybe it's just because I'm weird. But when my kids were real little, or my grandchildren were real little, and they asked me to do stuff for them, I, I really like doing that. It makes me happy. I'm happy to do that for them, whatever it is. Even when my granddaughter, one of my granddaughters, asked me to play tea with her. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> and she's just as excited as she can be. And I am so glad that she's that excited. You know? And when you get old like me, playing tea is easy. You just, you just sit down. <laughs> and they bring it to you, you know? And they just get all excited. And, you know, you just kind of pick up the cues from them and kind of go along with it. It's great. All right? But it, but it pleases us. God is, in, in that sense, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to make God like us, but there are many things that we experience that give us glimpses of what God is like. God is not this impersonal ogre. Right? God, he does truly care about us. Right? There's love and compassion that God has for us. When, when, we, when we exercise love and compassion for others, we are the hands and the feet of God himself. That, that's a good thing. That is what God is, God is like. That's not all that he's like, but that is definitely what God is like. And so when it comes back to this prayer thing, we've, you know, I don't know if, you're, if you've ever been stuck uh, on this. I know that I have. Maybe that's why I talk about it sometimes so much. But it's definitely, we don't want to allow this idea to creep in our head that prayer just isn't really a thing. Or prayer is only something you do when you're super desperate. It's, it's a great thing. And so Paul is wanting them to understand that in the midst of all that's going on, even though he's not going to be delivered tomorrow, he recognizes that the hand of God is working. And he knows, because he trusts what God has said, and trusts that God uh, exists and, and desires to answer prayer, he knows this will work out. He knows that. He knows that for a fact. And so he's greatly comforted by that. So there's no panic in Paul. None at all. He's not worried about what's going to happen. And he goes through, you know, if you're not sure what he goes through, read the book of Acts. He goes through a bunch of stuff. All right? He's always the calm one. You know, when, they, when the ship's going to wreck, you know, he's the guy telling the captain, now, just so you know, 
We're going to wreck. And everything's going to be lost. But tell your men not to abandon ship. He's a slave. He's like a slave. He's, he's been arrested. And the captain, yeah, everybody do what he says. It's just like, and sure enough, you know what happens? The ship just is obliterated. There's just nothing of the ship is left. And so those who can swim, swim the shore. Everyone else, find a piece of lumber and hold on. And they all make it. Every single one of them. And it's just like what Paul said. It's just really cool to see that. All right? And uh, so that's what, he's, that's what he wants them to recognize. So we would call it, I guess you would say, the mysterious working of God, because we don't really, we don't, we understand a lot of it, but clearly not all of it. Okay? So God graciously hears the cries of the saints for Paul, and God grants deliverance, or God grants salvation. So then, here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. <coughs> Number one, am I regularly interceding for others? Do we pray for others? We're human beings. You cannot pray for everyone. That is impossible. Okay? So don't feel guilty because you can't pray for everyone. Number two, there may be, it's going to be a very small number of people that you pray for every day. You can't pray for a ton of people every day. Because we have many things we have to do. We do have to pray, but there's many things we have to do. We don't have time to pray for 800 people or even 80 people every day. All right, but we can pray regularly. Some people we will pray for once a week. There may be a few we pray for every day. It depends on the situation and what we think about it, that kind of thing. There are some that we just pray for, you know, once a month. There's different, you know, whatever you do is up to you. But the idea is that we're interceding for other people. Okay? We are. We're, we're praying for other people. Uh, and they don't have to know. We don't have to run, run around and tell people. Right? I mean, if, you, if it comes out, it comes out. But we just want to make sure that we're, it's important for us to do that. Um, and it can be a, really exciting. It is, because you, God answers prayer. And if you've been praying, then you know that you had a hand in whatever God did. And it's really cool uh, when that takes place. So we, we need to make sure that we are interceding for others. You don't do it out of guilt. You don't do it out of legalism. You don't say, well, you know, I'm going to pray for Matt because it's my duty. That's not, that's not what that is. Okay? We pray for them because we want to. All right? Um, we, do the, we do out of love. That meaning we do out of a, that, that, in that sense, when we do out of love, it's out of a, a, a sense of commitment to that person and maybe to the situation. We're always praying in the power of the Spirit because we know that it's not up to us. We're, we're asking God to do these things. I'm approaching God because of what Christ has done. That's how I know that God hears me. God doesn't hear me just because I'm praying. He hears me because I'm a Christian. He hears me because as a Christian, I've placed my faith in Christ. I've placed my faith in what God has said about Christ. So I'm trusting God. So as the individual who's trusting in God, that's the individual who is asking God to move. And so we need to ask, so we need to do this. So um, A, you do want to pray for yourself. That's not a sin. Um, I would say if you pray for yourself, you want to make sure that at whatever length you go to, that part of your prayer for yourself is for your spiritual growth. You know, you don't want it to be, Lord, you know I could use some money. I want, you know, if I had more money, you know, don't, that's not what our, how our priorities should be. All right? It's, it, it's about God helping me to 
represent him well. God helping me to be more patient, whether it's with my family or maybe to be more understanding with certain people at work. Um, pray for the people who irritate you and pray for them and for yourself, asking God to give you more patience with that individual. and Because that can be hard. In case you've never experienced it, just so you know, you know there are certain human beings that can be really irritating. They can get on your nerves quick. All right? So we need to pray for them, but also for us. So don't just say, oh, Lord, please help so-and-so not to be irritating. All right? Because they may not. Help me get through today, Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's more like, Lord, help me get through. Yes. All right, but you do want, but we should want God to change our, our hearts. Absolutely. I want God to change my attitude. I don't want to be the guy that's always being annoyed at this person. I don't want to, I don't want to be that way. Right. I want to be what God wants me to be. Um, so again, Paul is making it real clear that we do have a responsibility to intercede. But again, it is the Spirit of God who enables this supernatural communication. Let me read to you from Ephesians 6. Verse 18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So it's continuing. All prayer at all times um, uh, with all perseverance for all the saints. So there's, there's a big emphasis on all. So the idea is that prayer is to be a part of your life. So again, it doesn't have to be. Don't become legalistic in the sense that you think that you have to pray at a designated time every day. You can. There's nothing wrong with that. And that can be very helpful. Many people do that. At the same time, your prayer doesn't have to be limited to that. You can really pray anywhere at any time. And that's important. It really should be very natural. So on a Saturday, when I'm home all day long, it's very natural for me to speak to my wife. I don't have to go through any kind of introduction or anything special. I don't have to say, can I talk to you now? It, it's 10, can I, can I talk now? And then I don't come back at one o'clock and say, it's one o'clock, can I talk to you again? That would be weird. We have a relationship, we're married. You can talk whenever I want to. Same thing with God. It's, it's, just, it's a relationship with this being that has created me that says he's interested in me and he's saved me. And so, and there are times at any, you know, I'll be driving down the road and all of a sudden there'll be a flash of either maybe somebody I said I'd pray for them or maybe I have been, but I think of them and so I pray for them again at that moment, uh, whatever the situation is. And so I, right there I pray. As I've mentioned before, if I'm driving, I don't close my eyes, but I pray. And normally when I do that, I actually pray out. If I'm by myself, I pray out loud. It, it helps me to be focused because you know, my mind just really kind of go off uh, in different directions. So, but that's the idea here, you know, always being able to pray. I, I, God has made that available because of Christ. Uh, so there's no, so again, there's no special body position. There's no special time. There's no special language. Uh, there's no special order in your prayer that you have to go through. If you pray in a certain order, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's okay. Right? But, but there's nothing prescribed by God as to this is what you have to do. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, uh, pray something spiritual first and then pray for something physical. You don't have to do that. There's, there's moments in time, like let's say all of a sudden there's, you're, you find your kids in a wreck. You don't stop and say, yeah, you know what, I, I really want you know, my son to grow in the Lord, 
to mature as a believer and go through a long list of things. Oh, by the way, he was just in a wreck. Um, I pray that he's still alive. Okay, you don't have to, you just pray, go right to the thing. Lord, my son's been in a wreck. I am, I, I'm, I'm freaking out right now because I don't have any information. I just ask that, that uh, if he's seriously hurt, that the EMTs will get there in time. Whatever it is, you can pray for that immediately. Right, so there's no, there's no special thing. All we do is give warnings to make sure that our prayers are not always the same where we're, we're primarily only praying for physical things. So it's not a sin to pray for, 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 for physical things. And it's not a sin at certain moments in time to only pray for that, depending on the urgency of the moment. Um, but we do want to make sure that we can pray at any time. Uh, and that really is what your frame of mind is in uh, as an individual. So verse 20, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul continues. He already knows. He's already told, he basically thanked them and told them that he knows by their prayer he's going to be delivered. It's all in the hands of God. He's now telling us what his expectation is and his hope, and it's all about his ministry and life for the Lord. He, his main thing is that there is nothing in his life that he thinks, does, or says that would bring him shame as a Christian or bring him shame as a believer. That's his focus. So that, that also, I think, should help them uh, as they pray for him is to pray this. I think I mentioned before, when you look at the top 10 things that uh, believers in countries where they're persecuted, when they have their prayer request, oftentimes within that list of 10 will be a, a prayer. They're asking that, that you would ask God on their behalf to help them to maintain a, a good testimony for the Lord. Which is, I just still, it always boggles my mind when you think about it, because many of them are being tortured. They're going through all kinds of, it's, it's just really bad. And yet that's they're like Paul. That's like a real believer. Their main concern is that they represent Christ well. Um, and so we could always pray that. And that's what Paul, that's his concern. He wants to make sure that, that um, so the idea of being ashamed is not that he's going to be put to shame by other human beings. He doesn't want to stand before God ashamed. That's, that's his concern. That's where the shame would come in. Um, I think a lot of us can imagine certain situations that we might get caught in if the Lord was to suddenly be present there physically, um, that uh, it would be shameful. We would feel a sense of shame if we were caught in that sense. So that's, kind of, that's, that's the idea here with, uh, with Paul. So Paul was determined then to not be dishonored in anything or by anyone. Uh, I got this phrase from, uh, uh, from one pastor. He said this about Paul. He demonstrated that right actions are not determined by right environment, but by right thinking. So the right environment is your circumstances. So no matter what's going on around you, your environment or your circumstances should not dictate how you respond. Right thinking dictates how we respond. Now again, we're not saying that uh, I don't want you to think that somehow we're trying to remove emotion from this. But if you're growing as a believer, even your emotions are going to be controlled by the Spirit of God. 
So you can still have a very, what's the word, uh, a very boisterous or demonstrative emotional response to a situation. That right? doesn't mean that you're not trusting God or you're out of control. Right? So I'm not trying to, I'm not, so I don't want anyone to think that I'm, I'm, I'm somehow saying we should all should be like stoics because that's not, that's not the case. But we don't become hysterical. Right? We don't become, we don't lose it. Um, <coughs> in coaching football through the years, over the past several years, almost all schools now have trainers. Before they had trainers, coaches had to do everything. So whenever a player would go down on the field, I was one of the coaches that always would go out, you know, kind of the first guy on the scene, assess the situation, what's going on, that kind of thing. So one year we had a running back who was, he was very, 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 very good, but he was also very, 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 very emotionally immature. I mean, extremely so. So there's this game we're playing, and he went down, and he is, I mean, he's screaming. He is screaming so loud that everybody in the place gets quiet. I jog out there, kneel next to him, trying to find out what's wrong, and he's screaming. Why me? Why now? Why me? And he's not listening. I'm telling him, I said, Chris, what, you know, where, where are you hurt? What's going on? And he just keeps screaming like this. I was getting kind of perturbed, to say the least. Because couldn't get anywhere. So finally, I hit him. Well, boom, on the chest. And I said, you're embarrassing yourself and everyone. Answer my question. And so he told me what was wrong, checked his leg and it was okay, you know, he, we could make him back to the sidelines. What made everything worse was in three plays he was back in because there was nothing wrong with him. He was screaming because he was afraid he might have been hurt. This <laughs> is just, gosh, dude, all right? But he was allowing his circumstances to dictate how he was responding, and he was responding hysterically, all right? So, now, all of us aren't always going to be in control, so we're not, we're not trying to pass judgment on people for how they respond to things. But the main idea, so we're not dealing necessarily with, with uh, spontaneous moments, like all of a sudden you, boom, you're in a car wreck, or you fall off the roof. You know, we're not dealing with that. But where, where you have these circumstances that you're in that you're facing, those circumstances for the believer is not to dictate how we treat other people, how we act. Right thinking. What is right thinking? Right thinking is really nothing more than what does the Bible say and I react in a way that honors the Lord. I react in a way where I'm trusting in God. I'm not going to be short. Uh, there's been several different people in the church uh, who have died slowly of cancer. And in many of those situations, as I spent time with them, uh, I think all of them, the ones that I'm thinking about, have all expressed this. They were, uh, they were all really very uh, faithful believers and had lived, no one lived a perfect life, but they had lived uh, noteworthy lives as believers. Um, and they all indicated, one way or the other, they, but they would say it, is they wanted to make sure they died well. And they wanted to die honoring the Lord. And what that meant, because as, as, as I would talk to them about this, they, they had a pretty good understanding of what that meant. So one of the guys, his name was Charles Bowden. Some of you know who Charles was. Charles, uh, the 
cancer he had sometimes could cause a lot of a lot of pain and when you're in a lot of pain you know you can get kind of short with people it's just that's a natural response it's just it's we're human beings and so as we were talking about you know he, he said he wanted to die well he said I, I know that I need to treat my wife well even when I'm in pain so his concern was that he wasn't gonna snap at her just because he was in pain because he's a Christian I mean, that, that's incredible, right? But he was, he was, actually, he was very concerned. It didn't matter if anybody else was aware of it or not. He wanted to treat her right because it was the right thing. That's what God said. You know, there's no, there's no, this, oh, well, we understand he was in pain. He, he wasn't buying that. He wasn't buying that. He, he understood, I'm a Christian. Uh, he wanted to make sure that he didn't complain too much. You know, you're going to complain about the pain. You know, you're going to talk about it. But he wanted to make sure that he didn't complain too much. In fact, he would ask me. We were talking one time. We were talking about an hour. And he goes, Brother Bob, now I, I haven't been complaining too much about my pain, have I? I said, no, brother. I said, back, that's, that's the first you've mentioned it. And he was relieved. He was, oh, good. Because it was on his mind a lot. Because there would be those moments where it would hurt him a lot. You could kind of tell from his body language when, when the wave of pain would come. Uh, but he just wanted to make sure that, that he was doing the right thing. And it wasn't because he wanted to be, he didn't want me to see him that way. That, he was beyond that already. But he wanted to make sure he honored the Lord. It's just really incredible. So this is what, what we're gleaning then from Paul. Paul's in the situation. Remember when Paul uh, appeals to Caesar. We know from reading uh, through the book of Acts and some of the letters, Paul had done nothing wrong. He really was only <coughs> in change because he was a Christian. There were Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, those kinds of individuals, who hated Paul because of what he taught. They hated him because of what he represented. They misrepresented what he said. They did so on purpose. They accused him of, at times, leading a riot, uh, trying to find a way to get Rome involved. And the only reason why he was actually in chains here was he basically had made an appeal to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. And so all the bets were off. That's where he had to go for trial. There, there was no stopping that. Um, but the bottom line is, is so remember, he, here's a guy who he is completely innocent. That's, you know, whenever you hear, when, I don't know about you, whenever you hear a story of some individual, it's usually a guy, not always, a guy who's done maybe five years or ten years in prison, then they find out a lot of times it's kind of like through DNA or maybe through someone else, they found out that someone else was corrupt, that that individual was completely innocent. That they, that they really, they did not have anything to do with the, the murder or what have you. And you imagine the five or ten years, or maybe longer, that they were serving in prison. Man, I, how, do you, how do you not be this unbelievably embittered person? I mean, what has been taken from you? I mean, if you're a father, you've lost those years with your children. You, you, can't, you can't get that back. That doesn't mean that they don't love you. It's not that. But those years of growing up and all those things of being, you don't have any, that's gone. The time with your, with your wife, gone. Time with your friends, gone. I mean, it's all gone. And now you're, in some cases, starting over completely. And not all, many of those individuals, they're unbelievably calm. Now, I, don't, I, I can't say that all of them because I don't know. I know several did talk about becoming believers. 
during that time that God used it in their life and they became Christians. And it's, it's incredible. Um, but here's Paul, who again, he's, he's that guy. He's innocent. And he's, but he's, he's not just making the most of it. Okay, this is, not, this is not where Paul's read the positive thinking manual, where he says, you know what? I just, I'm gonna approach life positively because that's just the best way to go. And time will go by quicker and easier if I'm just positive. That's not what he's doing. He is doing that, but it's based on the reality of who's in charge. God, not Rome, and not the religious leaders, and not Paul. That's who he's trusting in completely, is God. So that means then that God has him there for a reason, or maybe reasons. That, that's what it means, because God is never unreasonable. And he knows that part of that, because of the ministry God's given him, which is the share of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then this is the area in which I do this. And that's what he's doing. And God has opened all kinds of doors for Paul to do that. So that's how Paul is approaching it. Yes, Mike. Right. Kind of like your dad with the, I'm glad you bumped into me today. When he got hit on the freeway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now you and I, we cannot, well, you can manufacture it on your own for a little while, but not for, it won't last very long. All right, it comes with a change of heart. As your heart changes, you actually view life that way. So as we mature as believers, that's what happens. We begin to see life that way. Um, you, actually, you actually think that's how it goes. You, you actually believe that you do not meet people by accident. You actually believe that. Of course, I, it's true, but you actually believe that. It's not just some statement. Um, that, that God has brought that person into your life for you to influence them, maybe for them to influence you as well. Who knows? But that's why it's happened. The job you have, right? until you get another job, that is exactly where God wants you to be. And God expects you to live for him there. Right? The people that, you, that you're with, even the ones that are snot-nosed brats, whatever it happens to be, God, remember, the, everyone needs the gospel, right? You are the one. God's placed you there for, for you to be an influence on them in some way. God may use you to lead them to the Lord all the way through. Maybe not. Maybe you're just going to be a small part of the puzzle, so to speak. But we, we, we approach life that way. Life is... Much easier to live that way. It's, it's actually a lot more fun. You know, you can I mean, imagine the people that you meet, especially in the age we live in. We meet all kinds of people that we would just never run into uh, before because of people, how people travel and, you know, just running into somebody out of the blue kind of a thing and, and, and how conversations start up and whatnot. That's just really, to me, very interesting how that goes. Um, and, uh, again, it, it's, it's all designed by the Lord. And it's really terrific. And that's, so that's, that's Paul's views, view of life. So in light of his circumstances, again, his focus was not on getting released from prison. He wanted it, but that's not his focus. Uh, he wanted to exalt Christ in his life. He wanted to exalt Christ in his death. He wanted to do so without any shame and wanted to do so with all boldness, uh, where he was basically not ever holding back um, when it came to talking about the Lord and what he's done. So then that, so the idea here is exalting Christ through your body. 
So we talked about magnifying the Lord through his body. He says, Christ will be honored in my body. What does he mean by that? Well, what, it's a comprehensive way to, to look at the way that we live. So it means that we may either exalt Christ or bring shame to his name by our attitudes, our words, our behavior. So the questions we ask ourselves is, how do you use your eyes? A lustful glance at a woman or a man, or even at a sexy picture, does that exalt Christ? How do you use your ears? Do you listen to music that defiles you or music that exalts Christ? Do you listen to gossip and slander? How do you use your tongue? Like, you know, what's your language like? How do you use your hands? How do you use your feet? What is your countenance like? That was always a big one for me. My countenance is not always what it should be. Cindy will tell you. And I've worked hard on that, but this, I still have a ways to go. Um, I'm happy, but I look like I'm a serial killer. Um, <laughs> that's what she said. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what about... Uh, do you use your body? Do you use your body for purity or for sensuality? Uh, what about your personal appearance? How do you dress? Do you dress to be seductive? Do you dress to attract attention to yourself? Basically, do we exalt Christ? So to live Christ means to exalt him through everything we do. So that's what it means by honoring him with our body. It's, it's an all-inclusive statement about who you are as a person and all these things that we have. Uh, um, that we kind of are, I guess you'd say, uh, the way that we function as human beings. And so it matters to God. God expects us to pursue holiness in every aspect of our life. So that's, you know, what we, what we, how, how you use your leisure time, right? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do anything <coughs> spiritual on your leisure time. If you're taking some time off, you want to take a nap, take a nap. It's okay. You want to watch a football game? Jumping on, watch what we're doing. Everything doesn't have to be what we would quote unquote be spiritual. All right? My view is actually everything is anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But the idea is, is that we, we live the life that, we, that God's called us to live. God designed life and understands that we still, on a daily basis, we still have to get our clothes washed, folded, and put away. We still have to do the dishes. You still have to maintain your yard, unless you live in an apartment, then you're blessed. Um, you still have to maintain your vehicle if you have one. You still have to do that. God knows all that. Okay? So, so it's not this idea that we only do church stuff. All these things are related. God's supposed to do all that stuff. Um, but there's a way to really exalt Christ in doing all those things. That doesn't mean, then, that every time you pump gas, you're pumping gas and you're yelling, praise the Lord. You can do that if you want to, but that's not what that means. <laughs> But, the, but you know what? You can, off, you can be awfully pleasant when you're pumping your gas. And you can talk. You know, if somebody's talked to you, you can, you can engage in a conversation. There may not always be a conversation. You know, when I pump gas, sometimes it's 7 o'clock in the morning. Other people come by and pump gas. They don't want to talk. So I don't, you know, I don't go, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm not going to do that. You know, just, but if they want to talk, man, I'm, I'm there. We're going to, we, we can engage in conversation. It may be nothing more than just saying hi. All right? But the bottom line is, is that everything we do, we can exalt Christ. Yes, ma'am. I guess the danger is when we blend in so much with the world where you're not even, that no one knows, even knows you're a Christian. And not yeah. you don't have to walk around saying praise the Lord all the time. Right, you but don't. blend in so much they can't see yeah. the difference. If they don't see a difference, <coughs> that's where there's a danger lies in how right. you walk in. Yeah. It is, it is embarrassing if you're with a friend and you introduce them to another friend and then you say to your friend, yeah, um, like, like I'm talking, uh, let's say I'm going to introduce Ron to Matt, and, 
And so I, I go, uh, I go, Ron, this is my friend, my friend Matt. And Matt says, well, how do you know Ron? Oh, we go to church together. And if Matt spontaneously says, you go to church? Oh, that is embarrassing, right? When that individual was stunned, he, we're friends, and he had no idea. He, he's like, what? <laughs> so you don't want to be in that situation. All right, so you don't, you're right. You don't have to say praise the Lord every time, but yeah, you're right. We don't want to blend in so much that there's zero difference. Yes, ma'am. Brother, I'm so happy in my life. I mean, you know, as far as you know, what the Lord has done for me. Right. I don't care if it's 6 a.m., 2 a.m., <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, and that's your personality. That's okay. I can do that. They want to shoot me. Yes, sir. Another scripture, another scripture came to mind, London. He said, abstain from all appearance of evil. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we do. That's how we, that's how we approach life is through the paradigm of wanting to exalt Christ. And uh, those are the things that we think about and think through as believers. So we'll pick it up next week, uh, same place, and move forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us and again for the example of Paul. Father, we ask you to help us, Lord, to think through what it means to, to live as a Christian. Uh, we ask, Lord, you help us to, to think in a way that honors you. Father, I know that... Um, Sometimes we can really mess things up. And we thank you, Lord, that you do forgive. And we do pray, Lord, that you would grant us your grace to, to begin to think about these kinds of things and begin to, make, to begin to make the changes that we need to make. Father, for those who may have been able to do so very successfully, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless their lives and use them in the lives of others. We thank you, Lord, that regardless of what we've done, you don't hold any grudges against us. We're grateful, Lord, that you never give up on us. In fact, we're thankful, Lord, because you've told us in your word that you've begun a good work in us, and you will continue to do that good work until that is accomplished. And Father, we're grateful for that as well. We thank you, Lord, for the joy you've given us. And so, Father, we ask now that as we're dismissed that you would watch over us and guide us and direct us, and that, Father, that you would continue to cause us to think on these things. Thank you, Lord, again for your love. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.